Hey guys, Vadim from the DIY Recording Guys here. On Wednesday, April 22nd, Ben and I tried something new. We did a Facebook Live event where we had people from the community join us and ask questions and we just chatted up about a bunch of stuff. It's a little bit freeform, but we decided, what the hell, we'll record it and if it comes out any good, we'll release it as a little bonus episode. So that's what this episode is. Um, like I said, it's a little free form and we actually had some technical difficulties where people in the Facebook live group couldn't hear Ben, but because he was recording his audio, we pieced it together later and you can hear him here. So some topics we got into, we talked about corrective room EQ. I've been playing around with, um, with a product for corrective room EQ. So I talk about that. We give a little preview to the Fredman technique for miking guitar caps, which, we're going to be playing around with in the coming weeks. We talked about setting up a studio space. Um, one member of our community is setting up a studio in his basement. So we talked about some suggestions for that. We talked about diffusion and the difference between diffusion and absorption when it comes to acoustical insulation. We just touched on that briefly. There's going to be a whole episode on acoustics. So don't worry if that's a little bit over your head here. And we talked about committing to tones. So like something like guitar tones and bass tones and what are the pros and cons of committing. So check this out. We hope you guys enjoy it. We actually had a, we had a blast talking to people and answering questions and the turnout was kind of better than we expected. So I think we're almost certainly going to do this again. And as we say at the end of the episode here, um, send us your questions. If you have questions to DIYrecordingguys at gmail.com. We'll keep you posted on the next time we go live, and we hope to see you there. Enjoy. You're listening to the DIY Recording Guys podcast, your one-stop information source for DIY music production, with your hosts, Fadim Karaz and Benjamin Hall. All right, we are live. DIY Recording Guys, I'm Vadim from Comfrog Recording. And I'm Benjamin Hall from Dreamloud Studio. How are you guys doing tonight? So you gotta bear with us here because even though this happens every day in the course of the internet, it's our first time. So yeah. <laughs> so we're trying to figure it out here how we can see, how we can help you guys see both of us. All right. Well, regardless of... Um of how it looks, uh, what we're going to be doing tonight is we're going to just be hanging out together and we're going to talk all about do-it-yourself recording. This is extremely relevant now that we're all stuck in our homes, <laughs> as well as take any questions from you guys. So Yeah. Hey, Jamie, Terrence, Javier, thanks for joining. So yeah, this is really going to be a Q&A. We're actually also recording this. So if, uh, if we get some good banter going back and forth, we might release it as a little bonus episode. But we got, we got a couple things we can talk about, but really this is for you guys. So go ahead and either type your questions out to us or get them to us however you can and we'll, uh, we'll get started. Anybody got anything they want to discuss? What are you working on? What's bugging you? So what have you been up to today, Vadim? Ah, today. What have I been up to? Today is kind of a busy day. I'm, uh, I'm still part-time in the studio, part-time in another job. So today was my part-time in another job day. So it was... Uh, I was working on that. How about you? Uh, pretty much the same here. Um, I'm not full-time in the studio either. I still have a day job, uh, which I'm thankful for now that, uh, that helps pay the bills while we're all stuck in here, not being able to play shows or being able to have, uh, you know, clients come into the studio to record. So yeah, um, for sure. I, was, I was busy doing that, but I was also working on a cool mix that eventually is going to go up on my portfolio. Um, nice. It's it's more like a uh, it's a it's like a metalcore style mix, but I don't really mix in that style uh, too much. So you know how it has that specific sound. I like more of a hard rock sound. So I'm just kind of giving my own spin on it. Give it a shot. Yeah, exactly. Thanks, Sean, welcome aboard. So we're just taking questions. You guys type in your questions. We'll we'll get started talking on a couple of topics. But as your questions come in, we'll we'll start addressing them. So first thing I wanted to talk about was uh, I've been playing around with some corrective EQ for my room and cool. it's pretty interesting. So to give you some background, my, my studio is set up in my basement. And when I set it up, we bought this house about, 
be four years ago. It's kind of an odd-shaped basement. So I was I was playing around with the location of my listening position, kind of moving my desk around. And I was using a software called Roomy Q Wizard. So you can take a microphone and put it in your listening position and like the software plays some some sign sweeps and you can kind of get a room response. So I, I I was pretty meticulous about it. Like I I moved my desk around to different positions and tried to find a sweet spot and then I put up a bunch of acoustic insulation, which we're gonna do a whole episode on acoustics eventually. So I put up bass traps and stuff like that. And um the room sounded okay, but recently I've made some changes and I thought I'd go back and recheck it. And I bought a calibrated microphone from um, from Sonarworks. It's called the XREF20, I think. So it's a little calibrated microphone. So I bought that. And with the microphone, you get a free trial of their software, Reference 4. So I thought, what the hell? You know, I'll try the software. It's pretty cool. It's a pretty cool process they've come up with. They basically have you move the microphone around. They take like 36 different data points and they have this very cool echolocation technique for like visually showing you where the mic is. They like hmm. they send chirps out of your monitors that are slightly offset and they can use the the actual input from a mono microphone to determine where you are in two-dimensional space. It's very freaking cool. I just love that as like <laughs> as an engineer. So anyway, so I took these 36 data points and they take like an average of what your room response looks like. Mm-hmm. And then they give you a curve. They're like, you can apply this curve to basically all of the audio output out of your system. And in theory, it should give you a flat room response. So I was, I've always been kind of skeptical of this stuff because I've always thought like, well, you should really correct your room like by putting up acoustic insulation and stuff like that. Um, but I thought I'd give it a shot. So I pulled up a bunch of reference mixes in my session that just mixes that I use in different genres, um, just to see what they would sound like. And they sounded great, which in and of itself was kind of like, okay, well that's, that's fine. They, they sound good, but they sounded good before also. But what really kind of, there's, there's two things that really, or three things that really kind of convinced me that this is a cool tool and it was the following like they can give you calibration curves for your headphones also so like you put in the headphone model you have and they give you the curve for that yeah normally when i mix i like to switch you know i'll do like 20 minutes on the monitors 20 minutes on the headphones and that's how i kind of average the room so one thing i did was i tried listening through my monitors to my reference mixes and then i put on my headphones and listened through the calibration curve of the headphones same freaking thing like nothing jumped out at me. It sounded exactly the same. So I was like, wow, okay, there's something to this. Mm-hmm. And then the next thing I did was I pulled up a mix I had been working on recently that I kind of was struggling with a little bit. And instantly I like, I pulled up an EQ and made a couple of tweaks and I was like, that's it. That's the problem I was having. So that was the second thing. And then the third thing that kind of intrigued me was I pulled up, I have all these like compressor emulations, which we all do, right? And I just pulled up a bunch of them and was like cycling them on and off. And I could, I could very clearly hear what they were imparting to the sound. So I'm sold. I'm going to buy it. I'm still in the trial period. Okay. And I know I said I wasn't going to buy stuff for a while, <laughs> but it's pretty freaking cool. And, but I, I did want to give a caveat and then I want to hear what, if you've played around with this or if any okay. of you guys listening have any experience with this. But the caveat I have is that my gut feel is that this is not like, this is like salt, adding salt to your meal. Like you can't use salt with a crappy recipe to like make a delicious meal. Like you still need to have good ingredients. And so I think the fact that my room was treated and I had done some testing previously, I just needed a little bit of salt to kind of put everything where it was supposed to be. So if you just have like an untreated room, I don't think it's going to do a lot for you. And also it can like, I've read it can like stress your monitors because if you have to like boost 20, 20 decibels at 60 yeah. hertz or something like that, you're going to burn out your, uh, your drivers or your monitor. So anyway, I thought it was just really, it was really interesting. I, I was kind of skeptical on this stuff and uh, it looks like Terrence has played around with it. Ben, have you played around with this at all? Any corrective room EQ stuff? I did originally when I was setting up the room that I'm in right now. Um, I used room EQ wizard, which, okay. which I believe is free. Totally online. free. You can yeah, download it. Yeah. Great program. And it's pretty amazing what it gives you. Like 
it it's beyond the scope of what I can even understand. Like it, it'll show you the frequencies that are building up in your room, but it'll also give you all these different diagrams and different ways of reading it that is kind of even beyond my level of understanding or um I remember the first thing that I thought though after I saw the graphs that came out was, oh my gosh, my room is so bad. But in reality, nobody's room is perfect. So just yeah. seeing that like um that raw representation of all the 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 peaks and valleys um is pretty is pretty crazy. And we we've 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 talked about this on some episode, but just just to kind of give people some grounding on what we're talking about here. In a perfect world, you have this audio in your DAW, right? And when, when you send it out of the speakers, in a perfect world, you would be hearing exactly what's represented on the computer. But in reality, of course, that's never the case because your hardware colors things, your monitors color, color things, and most of all, your room colors things. Because in your room, depending on the dimensions, you have certain frequencies build up, certain frequencies kind of seem to disappear a little bit. So we use the analogy in some episode, I forget which one it was, where it's like, shopping for house paint but wearing sunglasses so you're not getting a true representation of the sound that's there and in theory this corrective eq kind of helps get you back to that that neutral uh state what were you going to ask i didn't mean to cut you off there no 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 it's fine um so i used that originally to set up my room because i knew i was going to use this room as my main control room and i wanted to get a just a baseline uh, reading of what the acoustics are like in that room. And then yep. I, I worked with GIK Acoustics, who I highly recommend. And I oh, sent cool. them the, the readouts to, uh, I sent them the readouts from Room EQ Wizard. And they had one of their associates look over the graph and the dimensions of my room. And then they gave me a recommendation of these are the acoustic panels to buy. And this is where you would want them set up to, to help control that. And, since then, I still have Room EQ Wizard and the measurement microphone, the omnidirectional mic. So I could, in theory, measure it after the fact and see how good it is. Wait, hold on, Ben. We got we got a problem here. It sounds like it sounds like people watching can only hear me. Oh, this is uh, the the kinks of doing this for the first time. Let me see if I can. We were talking about uh, using corrective Room EQ on your room. Uh, sounds like Ben's had some experience with it. Uh, through Room EQ Wizard, which if you haven't played around with Room EQ Wizard, it's a super powerful software. It's crazy to me that it's free. And there's some, I think it might be GIK Acoustics. One of the one of the acoustics companies has a really good like 15-minute video online that tells you how to use it. You need an omnidirectional microphone to be able to uh, to test your room with it. I think it is GIK because that's probably how I found out about it. Yeah, Ben says it is it is GIK and that's who he's worked with. So yeah, room testing is um it's super important for mixing and mastering, obviously. It's I mean it's also important for for tracking because, you know, just again, you gotta have an accurate repre representation of um what you're hearing. But anyway, so yeah, Sonar Works Reference 4, if you wanna download it and try it, if you have a um they have a list of headphones, they probably have like I don't know, 50 different pairs of headphones that they have calibration curves for. So you can download like a 14-day trial and just try it with your headphones and see um, what the difference is. It's, um, like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm going to buy it because I'm kind of, now that I've, I've mixed with it a little bit, I do find that I get more consistent results kind of listening to my mixes in other situations. They have their own testing uh, kind of algorithm, which is a little more user-friendly but you um, you kind of need a calibrated mic for that, which you can buy. I think the one I bought was like, I can't remember. Terrence, if you remember how much that XRF20 mic, I think it's like 60 or 70 bucks. And it came with a, like a 21-day trial. And it's, um, yeah, I'd recommend checking it out. But again, your room's got to be kind of close. Uh, you, can find already, an omni, you can find an omnidirectional mic for just like 70 bucks, though, on like ebay or something like that you can the reason i because i have one i have a small diaphragm condenser that's um omnidirectional but i don't have a calibration curve for it so they kind of do want because the microphone will color the sound as right. well a little bit so what they do when you buy the sonar works one so we should really get sponsored by I get sponsored <laughs> by everybody we talk about but it, it's cool because it, it it comes with a the mic has a serial number and it comes with um a calibration curve for that specific mic. 
What's up, Dan? So yeah, if you guys have questions, just type them in, and um, I'll just I'll just restate what Ben says. Unfortunately, we can't get. Uh, I'll try to keep audio. my. I'll try to keep my. Uh, you know, I'll just do give the quick sound bites. I'll be like the color commentator. Yeah, Ben's <laughs> gonna be the color commentator. So he's he's gonna be. Uh, who's with Al Michaels? Who's which one's the color commentator? I could never remember. Uh, I can't remember. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, so that's one of the things I wanted to talk about was my experience with that. Um, that's the other well, thing. That's encouraging. I just the last thing I wanted to add to that is that's yeah. encouraging to hear that. It's basically going the way of everything digital, where whenever that stuff first came out, it was kind of like, oh, it's a little bit gimmicky. You're not sure if it's working yet. But from what you're saying about sonar works, that really intrigues me. I was also kind of like, how can you really measure, you know, with one microphone moving it around? But I'm actually more confident in their measurement method, I think, than even the Room EQ wizard method. I mean, you could do a lot of... Room EQ wizard is, is a freaking crazy program. You can do so much in it. But... The way I did it was basically I set up my microphone like exactly where my head is in my listening position when I did Room EQ Wizard. And then I took like, you know, five sweeps or something and they weren't, I wasn't getting a lot of change from sweep to sweep. So I was like, oh, okay, cool. This is a good result. The Sonarworks method is a little different because they actually have you move around within like probably a one yard radius of your head, of your listening position and take, like I said, 36 different points. And the reason I like that method, I think, a little bit better is because you can get, if you, if, especially if you have some bare walls, you can get some flutter echo stuff where, like, in the high frequencies, you'll see you have, like, a sudden, a really sharp spike up and or a sharp spike down. And those are very de- position dependent. So, like, if you move your head a little bit to one side or a little bit to the other side, those spikes can move, can disappear or appear. So with the Sonarworks method... Because they take so many different um, kind of points around the listening position, it smooths out some of those sharp spikes. And they're not trying to correct, quote unquote, for those spikes using EQ, which I think is good because it means you don't just have this one, you don't have to sit there like uh, <laughs> like you're fixed in place. Um, you can still get a good room response, even like moving your head around a little bit, which is cool. I'm just replying to this one uh, comment down here. Oh, here you go. Javier asks, do you still think acoustics are so important, especially when recording mostly digital using DI plugins and IRs? And then Ben said, absolutely yes, because once you get nasty frequencies captured in a recording, it's much harder to remove them uh, after the fact using plugins, which is which is true. And also you just, again, it's like that um, like that analogy again with sunglasses. Like you don't want to wear sunglasses if you're trying to discern colors of paint, right? It's the same type of thing. Like if you're, I mean, there's two things. One is like, if your amp is in a bad sounding room with bare walls, let's say you have a guitar amp, you're going to get a lot of just nasty frequencies bouncing around the room that the microphone will capture. That's one problem. And the second problem is you can't trust what you're hearing in that room. So it's going to make it harder for you to make decisions. And I know this, I noticed a huge step change uh, when I put up all this acoustic insulation, which was even in my previous studio before I had this one, it, it was hard. It's hard to describe, but I basically like couldn't quite hear what was going on before. And when I had this acoustic insulation up, all of a sudden I was like, "Oh, yeah, I can hear those frequencies." And it was like it just makes it easier to make decisions. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's more important for mixing, but um, I think for tracking as well. Yeah, I noticed one thing, maybe you can repeat a little bit of this, but actually in the song that yeah. I'm um, mixing tonight, um, the guitars have some really nasty frequencies in the mid-range I was trying to notch out, and there were so many of them I was running into the problem of once I notched out all the f- nasty like resonance frequencies, uh, there was no good tone left in the low mids to to boost anymore. Like I tried to boost it and it just sound it sounded like everything was way too scooped. So uh, after I had notched out all these areas and there were like five or six places that I felt like needed to get notched notched out because there were these really nasty ringing, whistling frequencies. Um, there wasn't really any tone left in the guitars to boost um, some of that nice warm uh, low end. So what I wound up having to do was forego maybe uh, not notching out half of those frequencies. So that's an example where because they 
maybe didn't treat their room whenever they were miking the guitar cabs or they didn't set up the microphones in a way that eliminated some of that noise, uh, then it kind of uh, tied my hands a little bit in the mixing phase because I couldn't clean them up as much as I wanted to. Or once I did all that work to it, I mean, I'm just guessing this, but I'm probably starting to run into phase problems because I'm using so much parametric EQ. Right. Yeah. That's, it's never, once you start using a ton of EQ, you can run into problems, especially with instruments that have a wide range of frequencies covered like guitars. So Javier has a really good question here. He's saying, uh, he's basically saying, look, is it even important if you're, if you're going, if you're recording a guitar directly into your interface and then using something like a line six pod or axe effects or helix or something like that, which so yeah, the answer then is no, of course it doesn't affect your recording. You're recording directly in, so acoustics don't don't play a factor there. But when you're reamping, quote unquote, through those whatever it is, let's say through Axe Effects, you're still at some point gonna have sound that's through the Axe Effects emulation coming out of your monitors, and you're gonna have to decide, do I like the sound or not? So the room acoustics then are coloring your sound. So you may say oh man, there's really no low end in this tone. So then you go on your Axe Effects and you crank the bass up and you're like, okay, that sounds really good. And then you go the next day and listen to it in your car and there's way too much bass, right? And it's because your room was lying to you, so to speak. And this is something that used to happen to me all the time. This is, it's called mix translation. It's when you have a mix on one system, how good does it sound on a totally different system? Like on a cell phone, or in your car, which not that anybody's driving anywhere now, but I still will go out to my car and just sit there. My neighbors think I'm crazy. I'll sit there and like listen to my mixes <laughs> as a final <laughs> check. So um, yeah, it's still it's still important for choosing tones. Good question. Yeah, that was a really good question. Um, I'll start talking about this other thing I had, but again, keep typing your questions, guys, because this is really we want to do this for you. So. Uh, we want to answer as many questions as we can. I just don't want to have some silence here. So the other thing I got that I haven't started playing around with yet is this microphone clip. This is called a... Oh, this is it, This is it, huh? This is the Fredman clip. So this is a pretty cool story. So there's an engineer called Frederick Thorndahl who I think it was an At The Gates album in the 90s. It was, it's a metal album and it like revolutionized metal recording, especially metal guitar recording. And the way I heard him talk about it was, this is Frederick Thorndahl, Thorndahl, the engineer. He's a Swedish guy where all the great metal (laughs) comes from. So apparently when they were recording this album, they they spent two days doing nothing but playing with microphone positions and trying every single microphone they could to mic the guitar cabinets to see what sounded the best. And what they settled on was this technique. I don't have the SM57s here, but you take this clip. They didn't use a clip. You can just use regular mic stands. The clip just makes it easier. But you take two SM57s, one pointed directly on axis, which sounds crazy, but we'll talk about why in a second. The second one at a 55-degree angle right next to it. And if you've ever tried micing guitar cabs, you probably know that um oh sorry yeah let me let me show you this let me flip the windows and we'll get for for next time we'll get this better let me show you this clip you're you're trying to give all these examples and you're in this tiny little (laughs) i know (laughs) this tiny window so this is what the clip looks like and it's designed for two sm57s so what i was saying was you get one sm57 they they put directly on access so right the center of the, the the guitar uh cabinet speaker cone and the other one at a 55-degree angle, kind of like this, right? So they're right next to each other. The heads are right next to each other. If you've ever played around with this on a high-gain amp, you know that putting that SM57 looking right at the freaking center of the speaker gives you a ton of high-end, like un- ungodly fizz. And if you were using only one microphone, you would never do this. But with this technique, they're actually taking advantage of some phase cancellation on those really high frequencies. So there's a little bit of a phase difference between the two SM57s, when you combine them, you get this really nice tone. So eventually, this company called Wilkinson 3D printed this clip, which I bought online, and it's designed to just hold the two SM57s, uh, you know, at the angle you want. Um, 
So I'm excited to play around with that. I'm probably going to post examples on like a bonus podcast episode. But what's funny is on my Instagram, this guy, Frederick Thorndall, I guess, caught wind of this and was like, I should be the one making money on this. So he made his own clip. And in the Instagram ad, he like talks trash on this clip. He says that this clip has the wrong angle and he throws it in the trash and it's like a slow motion thing. So <laughs> I like anyway, how he's seated, he, he seated doubt in everybody by saying, oh, it's the wrong angle. Yeah. It, yeah. Because this clip is a 45 degree angle. It keeps the two SM57s at a 45. Okay. I actually really, I haven't checked for shootout yet. I really want to see like how much of a sound difference does a 10 degree angle make? But if you know, like Nolly get good from, um, periphery, uh, he's a big fan of that technique. Also, um, I heard about it from Glenn Fricker, who's the spectre media guy. Uh, he uses it as well. Get some really good guitar tones. So I'm excited to try this with my PV. Uh, what is it? 6150, I think is the amp head I have. So mm. stay tuned for that. Nice. Yeah. All right. What else you guys got here? Oh yeah, Sean. Who was who was asking us about uh, moving their studio to the basement? That was Sean Sweeney. Okay, is he on? I th- he was on earlier. Let me see here. Hey, Sean, you still here? I think he's still here. Yeah. What was his question? Can you can you maybe go back and and read it from the group? Yeah. Yeah. Let me, um, let me find it here. I think he was relocating a studio. Yeah, to his basement, because I, I believe he just had a kid. <laughs> so the upstairs <laughs> is turning into the nursery. Yeah, that's right. That's right. That's what it was. All right. Give me a second So you're definitely going to need acoustic insulation, because you, uh, you can't crank beats at night with a, with a newborn, I'm pretty sure. So he's planning on moving his, his uh, studio to the basement. Much more space. Uh, he wants to set up for do-it-yourself recording and maybe a photo studio too. Would love some cool Sweet. ideas for that. That's awesome. Um, go ahead, maybe, ben. What do you What do you got? We can maybe talk about um, uh, diffusion versus absorption. And I I know that in particular. So the, a good example would be my basement. So uh, I have an unfinished basement, and it's got really cool or uncool, depending on how you look at it. From a recording perspective, it's cool. But the walls are unfinished, and there's all these porous cavities in the concrete, uh, the concrete uh, brick that's laid there. So it actually sounds really good for recording drums. And you've heard some of my recordings, Vadim, so you can vouch for my room sound is pretty oh, decent yeah, down there. great recorded sound for your drums, for sure. Yeah, and uh, so in my basement, I have virtually no acoustic treatment at all um, because I have enough diffusion happening. That and um, there's a lot of odd-shaped uh, knickknacks around in my basement. So they kind of work as... And th- what I mean by that is I have like some scrap wood or some bookshelves, other things that are deflecting the sound around in the room. So it's not just a completely bare, empty uh, room with flat walls and flat ceiling and a flat floor, uh, there's also all kind of things in the basement that can diffuse and make the sound bounce around a lot more. So in certain situations where you want to capture more of the room, that is a more ideal setup to, uh, let's say, a vocal performance where you want a very dead sound uh, whenever you're recording. So it really depends on uh, the type of thing that you're going to be setting up. And uh, one thing I can recommend is maybe getting a couple gobos that you can move around so What's that a gobo? you can. Good question. So a gobo is a it's a portable sound absorption uh, panel, and basically you can adjust it or move it wherever uh, you want your sound isolation and absorption to be happening in in a room. So if you wanted to record vocals, you could set a couple gobos up together at 90 degree angle and sing into uh, sing into them and then you would be rejecting all the sound uh, that would be bouncing off of the walls. Either that or you could set it up to go in front of cymbals or if you're recording drums or just strategically put in a room. I've, I've even seen it where in drum rooms uh, they'll put the gobos up in front of the room mics to maybe 
shield from some of the nasty high frequencies you can get from the cymbals because I prefer in my room mics when I'm recording drums to get a lot more of the mid and the low frequencies rather than the high frequencies. Gotcha. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, the other thing I would say, Sean, if you're still listening, um, you want to consider kind of just spatially where you put your, where you're going to put your desk. You, you typically want to be, you want to typically have your monitors facing kind of the long direction of the room, if that makes sense. Uh, so have more kind of the long dimension be uh, kind of you're, you're looking in the direction of the, the longer dimension of the room is typically best. And you want to stay out of the exact middle of the room for your listening position, because that's where frequencies tend to kind of build up the most. And you will have um, certain frequencies unnaturally boosted and others unnaturally dropped kind of, it becomes more of a problem in the exact center of the room. The number I've actually heard is as a starting point, this is just a starting point is you want to be um, 67%, I believe of the length into the room either from the front or the back wall as a starting point. That's from uh, Ethan Ethan Weiner's blog. He's like an acoustics guru if you ever hang out on like gear slots or anything like that. Um, and you also want to think about, if you're going to do a photography studio, obviously think about that. Like where do you have light? Do you have any light in the basement? Are you going to need to set up lights? That's going to be an important factor. And then just like when we talked about recording vocals, it's going to be important to treat your first reflection points off of each wall. So that's where, again, the, the trick I like to use is if you're sitting down in your listening position, once you've settled on that, you get somebody to slide a mirror across each wall and even the ceiling. Like Ben, I know you have a cloud in your studio. You want to mm -hmm. slide a mirror along those hard surfaces and where you can see in that mirror, you're looking in the mirror from the listening position. When you can see one of the monitors, that's a, that's a reflection point. So you want to at least those first reflection points and remember, you got a first reflection point for both monitors on each surface. So as somebody's sliding the mirror, first you'll be able to see one mon one of your monitors, then you'll be able to see the other monitor. You want to make sure those spots have acoustic insulation for sure. Um, and then, you know, bass traps are a nice second op um, the second thing you would do if you were going to treat a room. Ben, how uh, do you build that cloud yourself? That's above no, you? I, all my acoustic treatments from GIK Acoustics because I bought it all in one go round and I wanted to go with professional. I, I might make my own stuff going forward, but I wanted to get the first stuff. Um, I wanted to get the good stuff. Yeah, for sure. Um, was it pretty easy to mount that cloud? Yeah, they. Um, I basically just had to drill with some. Uh, I had to drill in using um, a drill and then there were drywall screws and they have their own mounting system. And they have brackets that you just slide in and then bolt down, essentially. Cool. And Terrence, Terrence brings up a really good point. Uh, he says, not all treatment should be absorption, which Ben, if you want to talk about... Um, actually, I just want to welcome Mark here. Mark, we're having some first day technical issues where... <laughs> we can only hear my audio for some reason. It's and Ben is um, Ben is here as well, but you can you can read the um, the subtitles when he talks. So so to Terrence's point, Ben, you started talking about uh, absorption versus diffusion. You want to say a few things about that? Yeah, sure. Well, one thing is uh, diffusion is well, all of this stuff is expensive, but diffusion can tend to be really expensive uh, to buy a big diffusing panel. Um, but you don't have to go the professional route and buy the completely mathematical uh, diffusers that they sell out there. I mean, if you can afford it um, and you want more diffusion in your room than absorption, then go for it. But uh, also just take advantage of um, other things in your room like furniture, bookshelves. Books and books on bookshelves are great diffusers because each one of those books are a different length. So they're scattering the sound that comes in and uh, hits off of them instead of a flat surface, a mirrored surface like a wall. The sound is going to reflect directly back off of that. So why would you want this in your room, you might be asking, versus the absorption. So you could run into the situation where if you put up too much absorption, then your room will sound too dead. You'll have a... Um, uh, what's what are those chambers called? Yeah, I don't know the dead dead chamber sound. Putting on the spot here, I can't remember off the top of my head. Yeah, completely soundproof. You don't want that. You don't want completely dead. You just want to control the sound going around in your room, and 
and you'll know if you have uh, really bad reflections reflections in your room um, if you just stand in the middle of your room and clap and you hear an echo like that horrible slapback echo off of the room or even just talking and you hear weird resonances happening that's when you know that you have a reflection problem and um, absorption can go some way in that room but it sounds like you need some uh, diffusion yeah and Terrence brings up another really good point here which you brought up as well Ben that books and bookcases are great ways to add diffusion to a room so if you think about it from a from a technical standpoint like whereas absorption literally absorbs sound waves and keeps them from reflecting diffusion is kind of an odd geometry that scatters the sound waves in in different directions and one thing diffusion can do also is if you have a very small room a little bit of diffusion can help add a sense of size because you get all these kind of scattered reflections and to terence's point and ben's point if you have a bookshelf think about like books you know kind of sticking out at different heights and different lengths and maybe different densities that's a great natural uh diffuser to have in your room and you can kind of again i think for things like first reflection points absorption is going to be key but elsewhere and especially if you have a small room if you have some like bare wall space Diffusers are really cool. They are a little bit pricey if you buy them, but there's some really awesome DIY videos, which I'm, I'll, I'll try to post them in the group. You can basically buy like lumber and just cut it to various uh, lengths and then kind of glue it to a board. So you have all these kind of, you know, various uh, square shapes sticking out. Um, and there is some mathematical principles behind it. They're not just like random. Um, mm-hmm. so, but you can, you can get a plan, you know, that shows you it's like, it looks like a chessboard, and it'll say like, oh, this one's three inches long. This one's six inches long. So you can get a list of those and just cut your lumber to length. And they're pretty, um, first of all, they look awesome, right? If you've ever seen like a studio with a lot of diffusers, it looks really freaking cool and you can make them yourself uh, pretty easily if you wanted to just out of wood. Uh, let's see what else we got here. Thanks for the comment, Terrence. Yeah, Mark. Um, Mark, you had you left a comment the other day about I think it was about recording guitars. Actually, Ben, can you look that up? Yeah, Mark, I can look we, it up. We were talking about um, I think dialing in tones, and I forget what Mark was saying. But we went back and forth a little bit. Mark, I was actually curious about what you're using for uh, for a signal path. If you're if you've been recording guitars, I don't think you ever got back to me. I found Mark's question, unless you want to tackle that one first that he just posted. Uh, Mark says, just a Mackie mixer into a multi-track recorder for bass. I use a DI box. So for your guitar, though, what what's going into the Mackie mixer? Are you doing, is it is it guitar DIs or are you, or are you running uh, mics that are looking at an amp? A DI box is definitely a good call for the for the bass. He says, record the fuzz box on one track and the direct clean sound. Oh, yeah, that's right. You were talking about blending tones. Uh, fuzz box on one track, clean on the another track. And so, and then you're mixing those. Are you mixing those? Like, are they, is the mixer, the output of the mixer going into a single channel on your interface? Or are you recording both channels and then blending the, the sounds in the, um, in your DAW? Good question. The reason I ask is because that's actually, this uh, where I was talking about the Fredman technique. That's how guys like Glenn Fricker do it. Is they will actually run both SM57s into a mixer, and then they take a single line output out of that mixer and just record that one channel. And they're they're committing to the tones. They're basically blending it using the little mini mixer, and then they're saying, "This is my tone," which we talk about is is cool to to uh, commit sometimes. Yeah, I'm all about committing whenever whenever possible. Um, do you want me to read that question? There's on Mark's type a couple things. You record as much as you can on separate channels. Okay, yeah, so Mark wants, that's right, that was Mark's point, was that you want maximum flexibility. So he's saying, yeah, so he's recording it and then kind of doing the blending. I tend to agree. What do you think, Ben? Do you, do you tend to opt for a commitment or maximum flexibility? I the more, kind of the the more I record, the more I opt for commitment. Really? Yeah, I mean, it's it's hilarious. Like, um, so a coworker I have at my day job, he's always sending me links to like plugins and stuff to buy and more virtual instruments. But the more I do it, like I have my favorites and I just stick to them because it's quicker. I can get decisions done quicker. Um, I don't get ear fatigue, and I feel like 
the quicker you can get in, make, make decisions and just commit on it and move on, the better. It's just kind of how I feel about it. Yeah. Yeah. Now there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with Mark's approach either. Um, I mean, more options is better. I would rather have, I'd rather be able to have more options than less options, but there's something to be said for putting that limitation on yourself. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Tweaking endlessly can be a drain on your, on your creativity as well. Like if I was, if I was doing a song and I was just doing two guitar tracks, I'd probably opt for, for what, for Mark's method and go maximum flexibility but if I'm doing a track, I just did one last week that had like nine or 10 guitar DIs. It's like, man, I am not bringing all these DIs into a mixing session, right? And at that point, I was like, I'm committing before I even start mixing. And I was really glad I did that. I just didn't second guess myself. So I think it depends on how big the production is also. You know, even your uh, microphone clip you bought, that is a commitment because you could you try out an infinite number of angles when you're recording, but they're committing right. to that one. So <laughs> Yeah, well, so he spent two days, he spent nothing but two days on it. And then the crazy thing, <laughs> I didn't even say this, was that um, he said two, year, two or three years later, he went back and tried it again and came to the same exact conclusion. So there wow. must be something to it. There's like, look, I'm all for experimenting, but when people who are, take their craft really seriously tell you that they've spent you know, hundreds of hours tweaking something and that this is the conclusion they've come to, it's worth, <laughs> it's worth considering. Well, I'm glad, I'm glad we're going down this rabbit trail though, because I think that there's like some nuggets of wisdom in there, because I remember when I first started mixing and diving into this world of recording, I would hear a lot of professional, uh, engineers saying the same kind of a thing, like commit to your tracks, like commit to the tone. And I kept feeling like, well, what if my tone is sucky? Like, what if I don't right. know if the tone is good? So the caveat to that is those guys have put in their 10,000 hours. They've done all the experimentation. So maybe at the beginning of your journey, if you're trying something new, it's okay to experiment more. It's okay to have a lot more options because you're not sure about it. But uh, the more and more that you do it, I, I think the goal should be that, okay, I've done all this experimenting and now that I know that these... Uh, specific ways of miking are going to give me the best results. So I just kind of go to that and maybe I'll throw in one other technique for the sake of experimenting, but I'm not going to go through the whole process of trying every different angle and every microphone out on every cab, you know, going forward. Right. Right. And also that's, that's where the acoustics comes into play too, because if you can trust, if you can trust what you're hearing. Yeah you can commit with more confidence because I know that's, I've had that issue as well, where it's like, well, I don't want to commit because until I listen on another system or whatever, I don't really know what I'm getting. So that's the room acoustics kind of ties in nicely with that as well. Yes. Good questions though, Mark. Thank you. Yes. Mark says the time, uh, the limit is if you don't have enough tracks on the recorder, then you are forced to commit. Yeah. So again, I, I, I hear what you're saying, Mark, and I, I do tend to lean that way, but like Ben, I've also kind of started trying to commit more and you can just tweak forever, man. I like, I, I've never, I've never recorded a guitar tone that I've been a hundred percent happy with. There's, I'm always like, what if, right? What if I just go back and tweak that one thing? Yeah. So like at some point freeing yourself of those knobs and those degrees of freedom, I think is actually freeing not to overuse the word, but it, it kind of, it, it lets you start, making decisions elsewhere which in a busy mix i find that that's helpful yeah the other thing i'll say for committing is uh if your um ram and cpu loads can be reduced as well right like if you have a bunch of guitar tracks in your session and then you have a bunch of let's say um i'm gonna change this let's say and then you have a bunch of like plug-in amp sims each one of those amp sims is chewing up some of your ram and you're going to you might run into a limit eventually so that's another reason to commit is like it frees up your your computer power for for something else for other other plugins or other processing yeah visually it's just less fatiguing to look at all the all the tracks as well too like i know that it seems a lot easier to tackle a 20 uh 20 stem session than it is a 120 stem session oh my god yeah that's you and you, you and your three digit <laughs> 
three digits stem <laughs> sessions. Yep. When I opened that back up, because uh, we were using the stems to play a live show, that was for Alyssa, and I think there were 96 stems in that recording. I opened it up and I, I just looked through and I was like, I don't even know what this sound is. I was just listening, I was just soloing it and playing it. I'm like, I don't even remember putting that in here. So, not something I prefer to go around with. <laughs> yeah. So, Mark, Mark's playing devil's advocate. He's saying, well, you can commit on one track and then record the clean track as a backup. And I'm shaking my fist saying, damn you, Mark. Because <laughs> then I'll never, then I'll still be wondering, I feel like, if I have the option. Well, I always, I, I should add in too, whenever I'm tracking guitars, I always grab a DI just in case. Even if I love the, um, the tone I'm getting off of the cab. You know, just in case. Right. Oh yeah, absolutely. Every, yeah, don't get me wrong. I always, I always do record DIs. But even if I've recorded that DI, it's not so that I can have that DI in the mix the whole time. It's so that I can use that DI. I go through a point where I'm, I'm done with the recording. And then let's say I have a bunch of DIs. Now my next step will be consciously, this is my reamping stage. And in that reamping stage, I'll use those DIs and do a bunch of things, run them through real amps, run them through plugins. But before I say, now is the mixing phase, I like to commit to tones as much as possible because I don't want to second guess my decisions in the mix. Although for yeah. things like bass, I will still bring a bass DI into the mix because for me, that, that bass element is so important to get right and I want to have the flexibility to adjust it down the road and tweak it endlessly. But for guitars, specifically for guitars, I try to commit to tones uh, when I can. If you like the track you committed to, then you're good to go. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yeah, you're right. I would say maybe we should add in there too a, a final comment on this, um, since we are the DIY recording guys. So let's say we're recording with the idea of sending this off to somebody else to have this project mixed or a song mixed. Mm. I would say in general, always grab DIs for the mixing engineer in that situation because you might not be hearing what they're hearing in their room. And if you don't have a professionally treated room or um, you just don't have the same ears as that mixing engineer, it's just good to give them more options. Agree. I do like, I do like to have options. At the same time, if you have something that's critical to your tone, like let's say you have a delay pedal or an octaver or something that is really signature to your tone. Yeah, you probably want to print that. And and I would still provide the DI because there's creative things you can do. But I at that point, you just want to communicate to the person mixing it like, hey, this thing here, this micro pog or whatever pedal you're using, this is like a key part of my tone and I don't want to lose it and just have that conversation. Terrence says you just need to record the tape, then you have to commit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Oh man. And then you can't, uh, then editing is a real pain. Well, we're nearing an hour here, guys. If you have, I mean, we'll do this as long as you want. If you have questions, um, if not, then I think we should keep doing these things every now and then we'll get our audio right for next time. Yeah. And you can see we have our, we have our SM seven B's. So that means we're recording this and, um, we'll see how much of value there is here. We might record it as a little mini bonus episode as well. That'd be cool. Anything else yes. you want to touch on here before heading out? How, bi how big is your deeper dive into OD distortion pedals? <laughs> oh, yeah, we'll save that. Save that for another time. Do you want to, do you want to mention your, uh, your blog that you just posted on vocals? Yeah, sure. I'll mention it. Um, please, everyone, go to my uh, studio website, dreamloudstudio.com. And uh, if you click on the tab in the far right, top, the top right corner, uh, there's a tab that says free resources. If you click on that, that takes you to my blog. I just post, uh, posted a blog uh, there all about uh, recording do-it-yourself vocals, how you can do it and get set up to do your own professional vocals in your home right now. So go check it out. Uh, I think it's pretty thorough. Cool. Yeah, I haven't, look, I haven't looked at that yet, but I'll definitely be checking that out. And um, I don't know if you guys, I haven't said it on the podcast in a while, but if you're interested, I have a free ebook. Just go to howtorecordyourband.com. It's like 
something like 70 pages. It covers a lot of the stuff we talk about in the first couple of episodes of the podcast, but it's kind of a handy reference, and there's some some diagrams in there. It's totally free. So um, check that out. And uh, yeah, Mark has a, a comment here. It says, yeah, if you look at it from the perspective of the guitar player, I would say that this is my tone and this is how I want it to sound. So yeah, I would say, you know, if you're in that situation where you have a really dialed in tone and that it's got to be that tone, then yeah, I mean, you got to go with that tone. It'll be, at that point, it's the mix engineer's job to make it fit within the rest of the production. Hey, Tyler. But this has been really successful. I had fun. Yeah, I had a blast, actually. And uh, like I said, next time we'll get our audio right and uh, we'll do this again. I think it's uh, it's cool. Maybe, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see when it feels right. Actually, if you guys want to... Um, you can email us. So you can always email us questions too, and we'll either get to them in a session like this or on a podcast episode. Just email DIYRecordingGuys at gmail.com. Tyler says, hey guys, I want to take a sneak peek before you guys end it. Yeah, man, thanks for joining. I uh, appreciate it. Terrence says, I need to work with you guys more. I get a lot of guitarists who don't know what they want. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, man, reach out. All right, guys. Well, I think that that'll be it. We'll sign off for this this time around. And thanks so much for joining. This is the first time we've ever done this. We had a few technical difficulties, but really enjoyed it. Um, we want to see this community grow. You guys that are a part of it are in, in the early stages, and we love having you here. We love talking about it. It's kind of a, a friendly group. So keep it coming. Reach out to us individually. Reach out to us via the Facebook group. Uh, my email address is vk at calmfrogrecording.com. Ben, you want to give yours? Yeah, it's ben at dreamloudstudio.com. Right. That's our studio stuff. And then again, DIYrecordingguys at gmail.com. That's everything podcast related. So you know how to find us. And um, yeah, we'll sign off. Have a good night. Hope you guys are staying safe and healthy and um, productive during these strange times. And we'll, we'll catch you next time. All right. See ya. See ya. Oh, we got to do the, uh, we, we got to do, we got to say the tagline. Yeah, we do. <laughs> All right. So it's DIY recording guys reminding you to check yourself before you wreck yourself. <laughs> I right, can't wait to see how that looks in the closed captions below because I know some of my closed captions were not right at all. Like, <laughs> oh, it's going to be so good. If you're enjoying the podcast, take a minute to leave a rating wherever you like to listen to it or share it with your friends on social media. Also, Benjamin and I are working engineers and we love helping people turn ideas into finished productions. So if you're interested in working with one of us or just want to discuss a project you're working on, reach out. You can find my work at calmfrogrecording.com. Get me on Instagram at calmfrogrecording or shoot me an email, vk at calmfrogrecording.com. And you can check Benjamin's workout at dreamloudstudio.com. Hit him up on Instagram at dreamloudstudio or by email, ben at dreamloudstudio.com. And finally, join our Facebook group to engage with a whole group of friendly, like-minded people who are interested in DIY recording. Just search for DIY Recording Guys on Facebook. Thank you so much for listening and for your continued support. I'll see you next week.